The Redefining Parenthood podcast focuses on building your family using a donor, featuring stories where a difficult trying to conceive journey has unexpectedly led them towards this path. I'm your host, Becky, also known as Defining Mum, a proud mum to three amazing girls, all thanks to egg donation, following my own diagnosis of premature ovarian failure in my late 20s. I know from my own experience and speaking to many others that this isn't a simple path. It's not just a one-time decision and there's lots to think about, many emotions to deal with and actually with very little support available and quite often we just don't know anyone else who can truly relate to how we're feeling. That's where this podcast can help. Through personal stories I'll be sharing relatable conversations as we talk about the hope and the expectations, alongside feelings of shame, dealing with genetic loss, family resemblances, talking to others and importantly to our children about this lesser discussed family building story. Welcome back to the Redefining Parenthood podcast. I hope that you enjoyed the first episode with Camille last week and thank you to everyone who has shared your feedback with me. Today I'm going to be sharing the male perspective and the experience of building a family through sperm donation. This perspective isn't heard about as often. I think I can count on one hand how many accounts I know about on Instagram who are talking about this from the male perspective. So I'm delighted to welcome my guest today, who shared his account about 18 months ago and offers support and a voice to men on this path to parenthood. I also speak with Julianne about this whole experience for men, how difficult they find it, and also the challenges that we face as a couple. I hope you enjoy it. Hi, so I'm delighted to be joined today by Sean, whose Instagram account is one of my favourite names ever, (laughs) Knackered Knackers. And today we're going to be talking about the perspective of the man going through this. And Sean's going to share his story with us. Yeah, should we we get going, Sean? I'm going to hand over to you, if that's okay, to just share sort of how you came to where you are today as you have started sharing your story. Yeah, sure. So, uh, hi, thanks for having me. It's a real honour. So to try and keep what is a very long story brief, um, so my, my wife and I have been together for, oh, must have been about eight years by the time we um, we started trying to conceive. Um, we had done the kind of usual route, marriage, and um, like bought a house, and then, yeah, just felt that it was time to add that that final element, but... Uh, we found that uh, as many people do it's not quite as simple as, as you're led to believe it should be so um uh we went had some initial tests but it, it was actually for myself I, i'd had months post puberty which can, can be a bit of a problem for men um i'd had it at the age of 22 so there was always something in the back of my mind just knowing like kind of that i'd had that so i told the doctor that and he took it my concern seriously and, and I, I went off some from tests and analysis and unfortunately found i had wow. zero sperm so then obviously I, I, you go start what then is a very long process of, of i ended up having two operations to try and rectify this and find sperm both of which were unsuccessful so we eventually um, opted to use donor sperm and uh, almost a year ago it was uh, february in 21 we were blessed with absolutely amazing miracles that are our twins yeah, thank you. and you have condensed that story down into such a short and it always I always find that when I tell my story <laughs> and I think that sounds so straightforward when you do it like that but it really isn't is it and it does so yeah. just going back to when you first had that diagnosis and how did that make you feel what what sort of emotions did you go through it's um well, I remember the, day, the first day that I got, so I'd, I'd had my, the first um, semen analysis, sperm analysis, and um, 
and I, I got a call from a, what was I, I can only assume was a rather confused receptionist, bless her, at the um at my my GPS because she was trying to read out the word uh, azoospermia, and she clearly hadn't pre-read oh, what wow. she was about to read to me, and, and she was kind of trying to almost phonetically read the word as she was saying it, and I'd, I'd obviously never heard of this this word before myself either. So I remember saying, well, what is that? And she said, well, yeah, I can't believe uh, I that the receptionist know. was tasked so, with delivering that news. That seems crazy. I know. I can only assume it was because of the kind of her lack yeah. of knowledge. And, or it might, you know, it might have been a nurse at the practice or something, but someone who had no idea about what they were calling me about. And they were essentially saying um, that I had to go and take mm-hmm. the second test, sperm test. So, um, you know, when I asked the questions, why? And, and they read that, that word and, so I remember putting the phone down. I was at work and I'd gone outside to take the phone call and put the phone down. Dr. Google. Started Googling what that was and, and just kind of, it's just like the, the the swell of like kind of just so many emotions, like panic and upset and just thinking, oh my word, like mm-hmm. what, what's going to, what, what's this all about? What's going to happen? So now, you know, that's from day one. But then again, without trying, like it's, it's easy to do now, but to without trying to race through it too much. But over the years that came, and it was such a long process of essentially what was I yeah. now know in hindsight to be grief, and, and and that was grieving the loss of my genetics and being able to pass that on and be that that father that, mm. I, that you build up a a notion that you're going to be through your whole life and something which I'm touched yeah. on earlier you take for granted almost, um, and and suddenly losing that. Mm. But at the time not knowing that that's what I was going through. I was just kind of angry and, and sad and just yeah. at, at so many things that, but what all boiled down essentially was, was what yeah. all due to my infertility. But it has so many knock on effects in, in everyday life. And I, I was just generally quite unhappy for a, yeah. quite yeah. And, some and time. I, I can really relate to that because I think when I had been diagnosed and I was going through the, the motions with it all, I also didn't, realized that it was grief and I think if someone would have pointed that out and I'd have realized that it may have just validated some of those feelings and I don't know about you but I kept thinking to myself come on Becky just pull yourself together like you it's not life-threatening you're not yeah it's huge yeah absolutely I think for me as well I was trying to almost pin the blame of what I was feeling on other aspects like Mm. am I unhappy at work or is, is it and I, I realize now that it's it all centered around it was like a gravitational pull like the infertility just it was all consuming yeah and because it's so stressful what you go through and being in in the system so to speak we, we went um through the nhs and you're trying to get referrals and follow things up and like any old kind of uk public service is a very old and clunky yeah. machine and and um quite bureaucratic at times which doesn't help when you're going through something which is such an emotional time and state to be in and trying to push against that all the time and uh, yeah it's just all consuming and I remember quite vividly one day walking to work and I had my earphones in colleague tapped me from on the shoulder from behind and I took my earphones out and he's like oh morning what are you listening to (laughs) rage against the machine and he just went. It's ten to eight in the morning. Yeah, but yeah, just just like that kind of. They were almost a good um, byproduct, a good release yeah. of of anger that I had at that time angry. of day. Just waking mm. up, just angry and or sad or you know what we've said is in you, in hindsight you're able to look back and you realise that 
it was grief. And when when I've read about now that the stages of grief, yeah. and I can identify all yeah. of those that I was going and, and through. And how did you break the news to Jenna? Because obviously you've just received this news over the phone. You're still not quite sure what it means, but you know it's not good news. How did that conversation go? Mm. She already knew that we'd mm-hmm. talked about the fact that I'd had mumps um, when I was earlier, uh, uh, younger. We talked about that earlier in our relationship. It wasn't like a kind of, oh, beware, I had this, it may mean this. Mm. It was just kind of general conversation. And But also I remember in 2011, so we started trying in 2017, but in 2011 I found um, what I thought mm. were lumps in my in my testicles when I was in the shower, uh, kind of just checking as, as like anyone yeah. should do, especially, you know, men and women checking other areas, et cetera. But, so um, that led on to going to the doctors in 2011 for a scan and um, and it turned out to be, they, they, they kind of dismissed it. Oh, don't worry, it's just a cluster right. of tubes. Because um, obviously they were looking for a tumour or something that could be related to. Yeah. But actually, <laughs> what that was was a, a varicocele, which is, is, can also be a, um, a cause of male okay. infertility. So all, all of that kind of, and again, you kind of go, oh, is it because of the mumps or whatever? And so Jenna very mm-hmm. much knew about it years before. So then, as I said, when we went to the doctors and, and we said we were having trouble conceiving, we weren't just fobbed off with the whole, I'll just go away and come back in X amount of time. Because I was able to say well, I had mumps at the age of 22, they took our concerns more seriously. So Jenna was always aware of that. So when I got that phone call and then phoned her straight after, yeah, it was, mm. it was clearly a shock when you finally actually finding out that this is going to be an issue and, and it is an issue is suddenly something that you always hoped yeah. might never come up and arise it is suddenly right there in the forefront and um so yeah she was the same it wasn't you know, we, we always had it in our back of our mind that it, it may mm. cause this or but still when you when, when you're getting yeah. those phone calls it just changes everything suddenly like right there and then our, our world changed really and that was at the beginning yeah. of 2018 I think what's really unique about what you do is is you talk about it from the male perspective and you talk about all of these different emotions and things that society maybe doesn't expect a man to open up about and you've really kind of broken the Mm. mold and trailblazed along that and I'm sure there are going to be so many men listening to this who are nodding along and just feeling validated even if they don't feel able to talk to anyone about it and I suppose what what were your feelings as a man at that stage and realizing that you may not be able to reproduce and, and pass on your genes well firstly thank you so yeah I essentially am trying to do what I was looking for when when I was going through this because it just wasn't there I was seeking it out and I just felt so alone and and that is then ties into something you do feel as a man you feel alone you get wrapped up in this identity of well that's our job we, we provide the sperm that's what we do type thing and 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 that can I find that as a man, your identity can get wrapped around that as well, and and it all ties into ego and and a kind of uh, toxic masculinity almost of who a man should be, strong and yeah. almost devoid of emotions. Mm-hmm. Go and play sports, and then yeah. to, to the boozer yeah. after type thing. But actually realizing that no, men have have feelings, we have emotions too, and and even. I've heard, for example, Aunt Middleton talk about, you know, you could describe him as an alpha male. I've heard him talk about how important it is to, to work through emotions and not to bottle them up. And, and 
that is is true because I was doing I was just doing what any other bloke probably would default to do and bottling those emotions, but they were manifesting in other ways. And like I said, thinking it's because of work or because of someone, but actually it was it was by suppressing the emotions that I was going through through infertility and realizing that I couldn't produce sperm. It, it was it was just dragging mm. me down. It was like a weight yeah. constantly. And did you? Did you speak to anyone about it at the time? I mean, you were obviously speaking with Jenna, but what about friends, family, work? No, I was no, I was a, a long way away from that. Mm. Really, I mean, we, we told our mums because we we've, just to kind of let them know, and they've always been mm-hmm. good sounding boards anyway for just life in general. And so we t- we told them, and just to just to almost get it off our chests. But I definitely needed to talk to another bloke about it, but. I was I just couldn't um I needed to talk to someone else that had gone through it and as close as I am and my good friends that I grew up with I needed an empathetic ear yeah. rather than a sympathetic ear and they were all they'd all had children or mm-hmm. having children of their own seemingly very easily and and that kind of screams at you as well when when you're the one who's who's just so desperate for it and and everyone else seemingly having it with such ease but you never know what's going on behind closed doors but yeah. it's just what you tell yourself and um so I just I just needed to speak to someone else going through the same and and again that's just what I'm trying to provide now because I didn't have that as it happens later on down the line when I did tell my friends they were fantastic they, they were so understanding and made me realize all along like oh you know I, I was building it up in my mind as to how they would re- react but they completely surprised. Well, I say surprised me, but should I have been surprised? No, because they're my best friends, and and that's how I deep down probably should have known how they were going to react. But also, it's a very lonely place, and you think that yeah. no one would ever understand it. And and they they were brilliant, and yeah, even though they will never know what it feels like, they were able to say like, "I'm, I'm here if you ever need anything," and just give yeah. sound words of advice um, in terms of being a friend to someone who's going through yeah. something traumatic they might not have been through that themselves there's a lot of things I haven't been through which I hope yeah. that I could still help someone and for with. someone who may be wanting to open up to their friends or family how did you broach that conversation did you build it up beforehand was it just something um, that came out it, for us it was um a very sudden thing which was all very unplanned um so we were due to restart our next cycle of IVF treatment just around the 20th or something like that of March 2020 which is when suddenly the UK went into lockdown we were literally two days away or something from starting our our treatment and all the lockdowns happened which included included the closing of fertility clinics so when they came to reopen we were fortunately Jenna was right in the, the correct place of her cycle in that we were literally ready just to get going and this was in May of 2020. Um, so we were contacted by our fertility clinic asking if we were willing to be interviewed by the BBC about how the Im- impact of um, COVID had on fertility treatment and just what that meant to us. Um, obviously, it took a lot of things from a lot of people, but they wanted to know mm. just how it impacted people with fertility treatment. So we agreed to that. And that's what the subject was about. However, I decided on the morning just before the um, the camera crew came round to our house to, to interview us, that I was going to talk talk about my infertility 
And wow. um, I hadn't talked to anyone apart from our mums about this uh, at this stage. And Jenna said, are you sure? And I said, yeah, I just, I'm, I'm ready. So I just That's did it. Amazing. Just, yeah, it was like, um, it just all came out. It was like <laughs> verbal diarrhea. I probably made no sense at all because I hadn't talked about it out loud. Spent, like I said, you know, really to, to anyone. Yes, obviously Jenna and I knew what was going on. I still hadn't really talked yeah. about it. And, and really verbalised my, my feelings and how that felt as a man. We were just almost talking about options and 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 the next stage often. So, yeah, it just came out. And it, as it happens later on down the line, that never made the cut. And because yeah. it wasn't what they were there about, it wasn't what their agenda was for. Yeah. But it was good for me. Um, so what that meant was that we then had a whole afternoon and evening of panicked phone calls well, not panic, but just we, we couldn't risk yeah. this going out on air before we had told our, our good friends and the rest of our family. So um, we, we just rang around everyone. And, and it, it was really empowering, actually, the reaction of, of some of my friends, and one of them in particular. And I actually texted him recently, so it's just going back. It's about 18 or 19 months ago now that, that when I was telling everyone. And his reaction was just, like, absolutely top drawer and... I just texted him the other day just saying I've just remembered that and I just want to say thank you again you just you're a really good friend and and he just said that he he said what came to to his mind I think and just shows that people have do have that that ability to to be that supportive yeah friend I think often we fear the worst don't we and actually yeah if there are true friends and they love us they will be there for us and sometimes it might take a bit of education around it but it sounds like they were fantastic yeah. and I they were yeah I mean there were some people not necessarily friends sometimes family or whatever that might not have known the right words to say and and I've in in almost um through my account but probably would have happened anyway if I hadn't done that was just by talking and letting them know what I've been through, they, they they have said, oh, thank you, because it's really opened my eyes. And they know now going forward how they will better support other people if they find out they're going yeah. through similar. And I suppose if somebody's listening to this who is listening to understand what a friend is going through or a family member, what advice would you give to them to best support them, really? I'd say um, if you don't know what to say, which is completely understandable, because why why would you if you know what I mean like if if you haven't been through it is is ultimate you don't have to say anything you just have to be there and and go around for that cuppa or take your mate out for a beer and just listen they might just want to absolutely spout off and, and vent and that's fine just to listen and just be that that listening ear that, that they have probably needed for months if not years um because yeah we're not we're all experts in every topic of life and and that's completely understandable um but and and then just because sometimes saying nothing is better than saying something because yeah. there is a, a lot of problems around the uh, language used towards people who are struggling to conceive like oh it's probably just the stress of it or maybe go on holiday yeah. it all just happen naturally and things like that or and, and then obviously some of the derogatory things that can be said towards men uh, like uh, so, maybe I don't no, think no, I need to go into it's, them. Well, but... it's up to you. You can do. Yeah. Um, but I mean, have you come across any negativity at all from anyone since sharing your story? I think not. Um, purposely, some people still, if 
And one of my old work colleagues said, oh, when, when I announced that we were expecting, he said, oh, that took a while. I thought you were a Jaffa. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and I actually said to him, well, actually, I haven't got any sperm. So, and we've had two donor and his, his face Good just dropped. <laughs> and because I was in that yeah. space where I could do it, whereas before I just would have gone, like, laughed it off, which yeah. I've done many times before. And, and because of that, he will hopefully always think twice before saying something like that. Um, um, and then that's what we need in general is to for people to know, because there's a lot of assumption that if people are struggling to conceive that it's, it's the female. Um, but there's, there's just as many. I think it's the latest kind of stats to show that it's about 50-50. If, if a couple is struggling to conceive, it's, it's just as much chance it's the, yeah. down to the man as it is. It is. And lady, yet so. the majority of accounts out there talking about it are the females and that's why your voice is so unique in that because you're offering that perspective and and I think even as a a woman listening to this will want to get an insight into like how they can better understand what what their partner might be feeling or or be going through Mm. so I think you will have helped so many just by sharing in that way um and it's just so powerful a a story isn't it? it it can instantly make someone feel less alone validated yes. and yeah. yeah I mean I always say for me when I was going through our experience it was meeting someone else who had been down that path that was a real turning point because before it just felt so alien I didn't know anyone and I yeah I found it really hard to picture what that might be like and yes I suppose let's talk a little bit now about you making that decision to move with donor sperm like how long did that take you and what sort of process did you go through there? I think the process is is about, actually, it comes back to grief. And again, it's something that um, you kind of naturally go through. But I found that, so it's about acceptance, acceptance of, of what you, you're going through and how your future picture might like may now look like um, and, and accepting that it's not the path that you thought you were going to go down. Um, but actually I found with, with acceptance, it was more of a, um, it wasn't just a passive emotion I was going through. I knew that I was moving towards it, but it took a bit more work. Um, in terms of timeline is, I'd say it was probably for us six or seven months. Um, because I had my first operation I had was in March of 19, uh, which was a varicocele embolization. And we had both pinned a lot of hope on that, that it would work. And because um, it was quite a minor operation as well. So I think the, the hope was that it was going to be the path of least resistance and that was going to help rectify things. But, and after that, that was our lowest point when, when we found out that it hadn't worked. So from there onwards, even though I was still going to have a second operation some months down the line, that's where we started to kind of realize that we may not have like be able to take the path that we fought, but also realizing that I we, we I heard a quote, for example, it said we, we haven't come this far to only get this far. We weren't gonna stop just if, if I couldn't find any sperm even with a more invasive procedure, what are we gonna what route are we gonna go down? And actually that was quite important at the moment of hearing that because um yeah you, you just realised that there are so many other yeah. paths to parenthood. Into paths nice to parenthood, yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. <laughs> but there, are, there are so many. And, and actually, that 
yeah, just moving away from that 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 very one way one dimensional thinking of it, it had to be my sperm and actually realizing no, I, I just I want to be a father. I have so much to give as as a person as a father that really that, that do my genetics mean that much to me? No, they don't. And it started also it came down to um looking at my own family and and the makeup of it and realizing that actually there's we both Jenna and I both have step parents um even my who was my grandfather was not my um, paternal grandfather but did it mean I loved him any less was he anything less than the grandfather that they should be absolutely not and it was really taking a step back away from like kind of almost stepping out of myself and looking at that and realizing yeah it's just it really isn't that important I had thought I'd placed so much importance on it on something when that I hadn't really ever thought about it's, it's when you kind of take that step back and, and, and look at the situation and think no actually yeah I can move past that I think previously it's something you just take for granted it, it's a given that you will pass on your genetics yeah. and it, it's a strange place to be in when you have to almost deconstruct that narrative that you've had your whole life and then redefine yes. what that yeah. means and yeah definitely I, I just I've um, said before it's like I have to peel back the layers of an onion and to get to the as a man and that's like kind of your identity that you built up and, and like you said something you've taken for granted and then having that stripped away I had to cut almost peel back the layers to establish who I was and what was important to me what is my identity actually about which isn't my ability to to or to not produce sperm and then reapply those layers and they became like a coat of armor really which is the stronger version of me that I, I, I now am today, which is the person able to speak about yeah. it and put it out there by the account. And, and it, it's, it's by doing that and really focusing mm. on who you are and, and what you have to give to a child. is That's, I think, the moment you really start to move past him. Okay, so let's talk now about how you're going to introduce the concept of donor conception to your twins because obviously you're sharing your story um, widely now and now that they're here, it becomes their story. So talk to me about that. Mm. I know they're only very young still, but what, what are your plans for that? So, yeah, our, our plan is to be very upfront and honest about it, um, to not have that kind of shadow of, of, of secret overhanging the family as a whole. Uh, we they're only 11 months old at the moment but we've already started reading books to them there's, there's several out there for children um for, for various types of uh of donation kind of egg sperm or em embryo so we've bought a couple of the sperm ones obviously um and we, yeah, we started reading those to almost get ourselves yeah. used to it get get our the language of telling them very clear and natural in ourselves in that even though they don't understand it now by the time they start to understand we'll be very comfortable with, with how we're going to explain the story and because we want them to to be empowered about it and yeah. not embarrassed because moving forward obviously IVF as a concept has been around now for years but as we move forward there's going to be a lot more yeah. donor conceived children because we're looking at a lot more like same-sex couples same-sex marriage yeah. in this country and so we need it to be something which isn't uh, taboo mm -hmm. subject at all and and that's going to start from people like us talking about it and and people like uh, my twins just being so 
aware of it and yeah. empowered by and it. And you used a donor in the UK, didn't you? So you, um, they yes. will have the option to find out more when they reach a certain age. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, what your plans for, for kind of at that stage and how do you feel that about that? Because that is, I think, something as a parent where you evolve over time. I think I, I don't want to put words into your mouth, yeah. but I know my feelings at the very beginning I felt very sort of threatened by the thought of the donor and a little bit nervous about that and over time as I've grown more comfortable in my role and know that I can't be replaced and and sort of to think about things differently I've I've realized that there is space for that as well and it doesn't have to be one or the other it it can be both but I don't I know you're earlier on in your parenting journey than I am but have you given much thought to that yeah, um, to, in my case, to be honest, I'd thought about that before because it was something I was, I was trying to consider how I'd feel if, if it came to it. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it, to be honest, um, because the simple fact is there's so many, like Ancestry.com, etc. Um, I think I'm using the right word. Yeah. Here, genealogy um, is, is very, it's yeah. just interesting. People are always like, interested in, in, in the, that, where they've evolved from and if you, even if it's a blood test to show kind of what genetics you've got like people go oh i'm 45 yeah, percent german or whatever and yeah it, it's, it's really interesting so and i i don't want the, our babies to have the, the kind of something overhanging just mm-hmm. a big unknown and so if they do want to find out and even if it's more than just a blood test to see where they're they, mm-hmm. like their, their origins and heritage of um come from then I, I don't mind or whether they want to push that a little bit further when they're at adults and and seek out the, the donors or see if they have any donor siblings it's absolutely yeah. fine all i can do i guess is um just raise them with with love and just to know that yeah. i'm always there for them yeah and I'll, I'll support them in whatever decision they, yeah. they make and and that's that's all we can do isn't it just be there and, and learn as mm. parents and and think about because it is a different prospect when you're parenting a donor conceived child. There's lots of things that you wouldn't ordinary ordinarily have to think about. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. It's, and and that's you, you mentioned there. We we are learning all the time as yeah. well. And, and 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 that's not just something which every new parent does. But yeah, we we have to. It, it, there's constant reminders all the time when you're raising a donor conceived child. Is like when when you go to hospital and they ask yeah. about medical history. And suddenly, every time it comes back to the fore because yeah, you just don't know. And that's why it's important to grieve and accept because it, it doesn't just go away. It isn't just a one-time decision, and then you never have to speak about it again. It's it will come up, and uh, there will be times where mm. you have to talk about it and and share unexpectedly. I mean, have you come across many comments around resemblances? Have you? Yeah. Yeah, all the time. I think it's just so ingrained in in what people do, and and I find myself. It's almost something I go yeah. to say when I see someone's new baby straight away, and I mm. kind of hold back now. But it's it's the the thing it's that wants to come out of reaction, my mouth, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, and but even what's strange is that even people who know about our story say how much Ray looks like me. Yeah. So yeah, but it's it is what it is. And I remember very early on, I think they must have only been four or five days old, and you have the mandatory health visitor um, health visitor yeah. visits. Um, the lady came around and and she was saying oh, about resemblance and and, uh, and and Jenna just stepped in and just said oh well they're donor conceived but we use donor sperm yeah and uh, 
and she was I just kind of went oh sorry and then moved on very very promptly and uh but I, I said afterwards to Jenna I was like you know you, you, you didn't need to do that I was yeah. like you know I was fine just to go kind of brush it off almost to go oh yeah we're not really yeah. sure because um like Evelyn for example has got kind of uh almost gingery hair yeah so we're gonna get that all the time oh do you have ginger in your family or you get a lot as well do you have twins yes, in your family I've had that yeah and um yeah so um yeah I, I'm happy in certain situations if it's someone that I'm gonna see again then I usually tell them because I, I'm very upfront and, and open about it whereas if it's just someone that I'm passing or never see yeah. again there's no point I just kind of skirt around the issue brush it off or whatever and and and, and just be vague and, and that's that's it really there's almost no point in having that conversation with someone that you, you're probably yeah. never going to see there's it, a fine so. line isn't there between kind of oversharing and and then feeling like you've not shared enough and yeah. it's it's really try trial and error really i've found and times where i've thought yeah. why did i tell them all of that i didn't need to and then other times where i thought oh i feel like i maybe should have said more um but yeah, yeah. for me i think it's about role modeling it to to the girls and that if I'm asked in front of them and it's an appropriate time then to share it but if not then and yeah they'll pick up when they want to share it as well and not as they start talking about it absolutely yeah at the end of the day it's like anything that is private to you you, it's it's your choice when you when you share that and yeah it's just gauging the situation really if I or even if it is someone who I think um, is is only going to be a brief encounter in my life or whatever but if I feel like they need the yeah. education, perhaps if it's by the certain language they've used, then I would definitely do so. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's all about just reading. It is, the and there's no textbook for it, really. It's just <laughs> you get Absolutely, more comfortable yeah. with it. Um, thank you so much, Sean, for sharing with us. Um, I'm just going to finish with a question that I'm asking everybody who I'm speaking to. Um, just on reflection, what would be your three pieces of advice um what would you have told yourself back in the beginning i think you've already covered one a little bit but probably yeah. acceptance is yeah that, is that, that, that's huge because i really think it's if, you, if you're considering going down the, the route of a donor anything donor sperm embryo egg it's really important to have accepted what you're going through first because it's not something which can be a like a plaster over your infertility you have to have dealt with it first Otherwise, I, I think it, those wounds will resurface in, down the line. I think that 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 is really key. Um, secondly, I think definitely be um, patience, and it's not always the easiest thing to hear because I know what it's like. You just want to be there, you want that family, but unfortunately, it all just takes so much time. And whether that's whether you're going through the health service or private, it can all take time. And it's not necessarily about how fast other people can work it's it's yourself as well for example me every time I had an operation or tried something new like dietary change the sperm cycle is three months so you're waiting for another three Mm. months to to have more tests and the amount of times I did that I absolutely understand and acknowledge the desperation to get there but it's a long process and 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 also it's not just about the processes that take the time is you have to take the time to, to go through it yourself and 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 deal with that infertility yeah. like we said the grief and and it's all part of it unfortunately and and it there's no set mm-hmm. time on how long that can take so and just to put like whilst going through that and having to be patient is supporting each other with your partner yeah. and I think lastly is the acknowledgement that any path to parent hub is, is as special as any other yeah 
I, I wouldn't change a thing about what's happened to me. I yeah. really wouldn't. It's all every point along the road, every fork that we've faced has, has guided us right to where we yeah. should be. It's a real privilege every day to see our twins growing up and developing their own personalities. And yeah, just I would I wouldn't change it. And so I'd just like yeah. to reassure anyone who, who's who's going through this just to know that it might not be the picture you thought you had however long ago, but it's just as special as anyone yeah, else's. Absolutely. I relate to every single word you've just said there with it's one of those things when you're going through it, you're thinking, Oh, I wish I could change this. But when you get to the other side, you you wouldn't change yeah. them. Um you just had to Absolutely. And I always say it was it was them we always wanted. It was just the how that Absolutely. we had to change. So. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 really it's, it's really special. Um, yeah, I, like I just wouldn't change anything about what every step of the way, every bit of physical pain, emotional pain. It's all been leading me to who I needed to be, and more importantly, to who I needed to meet as to, to yeah. be our children, and also as a huge support to other people as well. So you've kind of found your kind of passion in supporting others and it feels like then you can give back and and I know you run some support groups in London when COVID restrictions aren't in place um and you've also run some uh, connection sessions with Paths to Parenthood as well which I'm very grateful for so yeah if anybody wants to find Sean you can find him on Instagram as Knackered Knackers and I will put the link in the footnotes to this chat um I just want to say a huge huge thank you because I just know there'll be so many people that listen to this whether they're going through it themselves or friends or a family member of someone who's going through it where it will help open their eyes and hopefully help them feel validated so thank you Sean you are welcome thanks for having me wow I want to say a huge thank you to Sean I always get quite emotional when I hear about the perspective of a man who has been through this I think I often relate to how they're feeling and think about how difficult it must be to not always be able to find that support or express your emotions. I'm really excited now to bring in Julianne, who is going to talk to us a little bit more about this experience for the man and also the impact that it can have on a couple. So welcome, Julianne. So we're here today just to follow up on um, the conversation I had with Sean, which was so insightful into the male perspective of going through this loss of genetics um, and the need to reconceive the dream in terms of how we're going to build our family and Sean talked about particularly at the beginning the impact it had on his male identity and some of his grief actually almost coming out as anger um, when he wasn't able to voice it and and properly understand that it was grief and I thought it might be an interesting topic for us to talk about in terms of how we as women typically handle this type of thing compared to how men typically handle it and I'm not generalizing at all but I, I think there are some quite stark differences in in how we tend to to handle these things so what would you say from what you see Julia? Yeah, I mean, I I must say I have a particular soft spot for men that I see um, who come to see me struggling with fertility issues. And, and the reason for this is is really because I really feel they are the invisible partner. Um, yeah. And that goes right across, you know, the spectrum in, in the perinatal period. You know, often they're there and they're expected, aren't they, societally to be the rock upon which mm-hmm. their partner is able to depend. They're often there as the advocate for their partner um, in the clinic where 
perhaps their female partner has, you know, been overwhelmed by the physicality of treatment that, you know, she has yeah. to go through. We're talking obviously in heterosexual couples. And the invisibility continues all the way through, you know, through to the antenatal class, through to the, the birthing suite and even postpartum. You know, dads and dads-to-be and prospective fathers are rarely asked, how are you? How are you finding this? So that's one of the first things, is sort of the invisibility of how men find that the whole range of you know trying to conceive pregnancy loss and fertility treatment now the bit of that that obviously finds expression i think often for men um is in this sort of anger this low level frustration that you know where did they get to say what it feels like often there's a sense of guilt that if i actually share with my partner for often or not it is the partner who is the main confidant if I share with her this town feeling I mean gosh there can be all sorts of thoughts will that then mean mm. that you know she's psychologically unable to continue with the treatment I really should be there as the strong silent partner helping her with the injections I'm doing the easy bit you know I, yeah. I really don't have a right to ask my partner for support I think there's also the reality and and you and I know this being online you know a lot of the time, that there aren't the same echo chambers for men, either yeah. online or in real life. It is very rare that men will go down the pub or into the workplace and say, I just found out, you know, that I've got a zoospermia or, you know, yeah. myself and the wife are, are struggling. And even when you look at sort of wider societal narratives around um, male infertility they're often subsumed or hidden within couple infertility so I'm thinking of some of the celebrities like um, oh Chrissy Teigen's husband help me yeah, out John Legend. John, John, John Legend John Legend you know we're yeah. not quite sure you know what the story is there or also we look at Hugh Jackman and his wife and they have adopted children so often you know these the stories around male infertility are usually shrouded as couple infertility yeah. or a couple struggling with infertility and so I often call it um, the rage of unmet needs in other words here I am I'm going through this huge emotional roller coaster nobody is looking to me to find out how I am nobody is asking how I am in fact to add insult to injury they're asking me constantly how my other half is you know so there's you know, there's a, a real lack of available safe spaces for men to talk about these issues. Yeah. And I, I think that's often where the frustration and anger can arise. Yeah. And that's just so visible even in the Instagram community. I mean, I can count on one hand the number of male accounts that I know talking about this, whereas there are thousands and thousands of other yeah. women out there who have found that support and, and that way of talking. And that's why accounts such as Sean's and Alex when pursuing fatherhood are so important for, for the men to be able to connect with a story and, and be able to see yeah. themselves in that and, and feel less alone. Um, but yeah, you, you talk about the rage of the unmet needs. And I, I think about how my husband went through our journey as well in, in the fact that it actually wasn't him that that was infertile or was struggling with his fertility and mm. and what you talked about there in in terms of they are often overlooked the focus was always on me 
um, and how I was feeling, he was definitely in that role as the strong one. And, and at times I wasn't really sure how it was impacting him because I think mm. he didn't want to put anything extra on top of me. And so I think as well, when we, we talk about donor conception in particular, mm. we often think about grieving the loss of genetics for the person who is infertile or is, is not able to use their genetics. But also there's mm-hmm. there's that process for the partner as well, isn't there? Well, I think one of the things that couples often speak to me about, so first of all, is that, yes, um, I often talk, as you know, about this process to, to steal a phrase from Gwyneth Paltrow and bend it slightly, um, unconscious uncoupling. In other words, often couples use each other as a way of supporting each other and guiding each other through what, you know, often at times is a very scary, highly medicalized, very intrusive process. And I think what can happen is that um, from often the men that I see, the sense of another, because it is often men, you know, a male fertility consultant or a male obstetrician being involved in in this very intrusive way. Um, I've often had men speak to me about the fact that, you know, particularly during the pandemic, they weren't even present at the moment of conception. Um, that these sorts of things can really weigh heavy in the couple's life whilst they're trying to conceive and even beyond. And often what I see, and again, bearing in mind we're talking about heterosexual couples, these burdens, if you like, these unseen psychological impacts often don't turn up for men till much later on in the journey. And sometimes they turn up in ways that can be very easily misunderstood. So in other words, I've, I've worked with men where actually they, they start an emotional relationship with perhaps a colleague at work because they feel so shut out by the process or by, you know, their wives, if you like, sort of consumption and obsession yes. with having a baby. Or they may try and numb themselves with drink, alcohol, drugs or overwork is a very common thing in mm. order to take themselves out of the pain and the the shame that they might feel about what's going on. And I think unless we understand these different ways of experiencing, you know, uh, infertility and fertility treatment and beyond, we really are doing men a disservice. And ultimately, we're doing couples and donor conceived families a disservice. Because what I see happen a lot is that once couples uncouple, if you like, to use this phrase I'm using, it can be very difficult for the couple to come back together Yeah, in a way that obviously needs to happen because once the baby or babies come, that's when they really need to be working together as a team. Yeah. Maybe we often underestimate the, the challenge of this journey as a couple because I, you move at different paces and you feel things in different ways and I think what you've really brought to life there is is how it can feel for the man when they are just as much a part of this but often feel like they're, they're separate to it and and this is another topic we're talking about on Paths to Parenthood uh, later on this year isn't it um, where we're going to explore in yeah. a bit more depth how to navigate donor conception as a couple and it may not even be through the whole trying to conceive process but also at the point where you're parenting a donor conceived child and you've got to think about being on the same page around talking to them about their conception and I often hear differences in opinion around that and and Mm. 
one may want to be more open one may want to wait a bit longer and there's just a lot to work through together isn't there absolutely and and I think you know I'm obviously biased because I, I work as a couples therapist but if I had 50 pound for every time a couple sit in front of me and usually the woman hears what her partner has been through and the sense of relief but also the sense real sense of connection mm. that can be had where the partner finally gets to say I was terrified I, I actually wanted to stop you know after the last cycle I was beside myself that you you went through so much I feel unbelievably guilty that because of you know my diagnosis you have to go through so much to have our baby and you know th- this is really really important I'm delighted that you've interviewed Sean and I really hope these spaces continue to open up for men to be able to talk and I guess the other thing I'd like to say is I'd like to see more diversity in these spaces yes you know men from communities such as the South Asian community or indeed the black British community if you know the stigma and shame is even multiplied I would say often where there are very strong um religious and cultural expectations of men to be able to father children and where donor conception is still you know very much a secret and I guess the other end of of that diversity would be you know gay parents and non-binary parents coming forward to share their experiences as well absolutely I totally agree I think it is it's just opening the door for these conversations within all the minorities within donor conception Mm. itself isn't it so thank you Julia absolutely very welcome I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you found it insightful to hear from Sean's perspective as well as Julianne's expert views on how this impacts individuals and as a couple. You can find Sean on Instagram at Knackered Knackers. I think it will always be one of my all-time favourite Instagram handles and you can also find Julianne at Parenthood in Mind. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review. It really helps as I'm starting this new podcast series. Thank you again, and I'm looking forward to sharing another episode with you in two weeks' time, where we're going to be talking about a slightly different perspective from someone who is still on the journey, where things maybe haven't gone to plan, and where there are other different cultural barriers along the way. Thank you for all of your support, and I hope you have a good week.